0: Gary Schulten has been with Principal Financial Group since 1980, which in today's gig economy is almost unheard of. But Gary has grown with Principal and has helped the company usher in a number of digital and technical innovations that serve customers, shareholders, employees, and everyone in between. In this interview, Gary explains his many titles at Principal, which include Executive Vice President, Chief Innovation Officer, and most recently, Chief Digital Officer. And he defines what it means to be a CDO today. It's a role he's excited about taking on, and he believes that through that role, he will be able to combine the business strategy and digital strategy in a way that will enable top to bottom success for principal and its customers. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform mobile the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. On the other line, in the middle of America, Gary, how's it going?
2: It's going great. Thanks for having
1: me on, Ian. We're super excited about this interview today. You have been a CIO for a long time. And sometimes that's not always the case with some of our guests. Uh, you know, we've talked about how the, the shelf life of a CIO is, is a little under five years, but you have done it for a lot longer. So, you know, let's kick it off with how the heck did you get to be a CIO so long?
2: Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So yeah, it's been almost 17 years as uh, I interact with peers at other companies. I rarely run into one that's longer, although Apple CIO has been there a little bit longer than me. So there are a few out there. But I'd say a a big piece of it is I've just always been inquisitive and I've always had the opportunity to go on and do different things. Uh, Many of the things that I've been able to do since becoming CIO have been non-traditional for CIOs to do which keeps me enthused and engaged in uh, getting to work with some of the most talented people around. So it's just lots of things come together for it.
1: Yeah. It's a pretty interesting. I, I, and we'll get into like why you added the title of chief digital officer in a little bit, but it is, it does seem like, You are one of the people that is constantly keeping up with technology, that the things that you're working on are always at the forefront. Can you explain, like, what is the scope of your responsibilities at uh, Principal Financial Group?
2: Sure. So, uh, my CIO role means really um, lead our use of technology across the the company. And so, you know, we're a global company. Uh, I have retirement businesses in 10 countries. We have very large U.S. retirement and insurance business, and then a global investment management business. So it's really overseeing technology usage across those businesses. In addition to a chief information officer role, um, we can go into more detail, but yeah. i on the title of chief digital officer, which I consider a strategy role working with our businesses, you know, to, to, go deeper into their business strategies and how they use digital. In addition to that, I've served for seven years leading corporate strategy. And one of the reasons why I was given that opportunity was to really help drive technology deeper and deeper into our business strategies. I also had a two-year stint providing executive oversight for our HR. As we had a new chief human resources officer and I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is that IT workforce has been an issue for so long that we always seem to be pushing uh, the envelope of, of needs, uh, what we need from our HR, but also how we engage employees through digital means, similar to how we're engaging customers. There's certainly been a connection there. And then finally, we also have a, an offshore operation that I helped found and, and have chaired for about 13 years now that does high-end knowledge work for all of our businesses, traditional transactional processing, and then IT type of services. So, you know, several things that I would say are non-traditional CIO roles. I
1: love that you were in HR or like had HR roll up to you for a brief stint of time. It reminds me of my time in the military where I was at the Army's version of HR. And every time there was a problem, it was like, well, People are personnel. Personnel is falls under falls under you. So, you know, if it's a people problem, you have to deal with them. Like everything is a people problem. What else? What other problems would there be? But I think it's a really interesting idea that HR and IT are so closely linked. And it is exactly what you said, where all of the employees are so heavily using technology now that their employee experience, their onboarded on using technology, their payment systems are using technology, their, you know, communication tools are, are using that, their sales tools, all of these things are all technology related. And then all now all of the other apps and things that they're building.
2: What were some of the insights that you saw kind of
1: sitting in that role for a little bit?
2: You know, I think one of the things that we spent a fair amount of time on was, does our current workforce fit where we think the future is going to go with, you know, a digital strategies and, And so, that's something we spent a fair amount of time with, defining the skills uh, and attributes needed from employee and workforce in the future. And so, we're now in the process of of really getting that out there to make sure hiring leaders think about it, you know, as we think about development, how we apply that in there. So, you know, one of the learnings was, you know, that just the, the workforce that we developed was not necessarily you know, had the same skills and attributes that we were going to need into the future.
1: That's really interesting. Was it from just a lack of like digital presence or was it, what, what, were, what were the things that you were unprepared for? I mean, you can speak, you know, generally, we don't need to dive into the specifics, but uh, unless you want
2: to. Yeah. So, so as we see our, our digital strategies across our businesses, you know, that's really, our definition for digital is using some specific types of technologies in your business strategy to drive your business strategy so one is you know engagement so that's employee or customer engagement capabilities so that's things like social media mobile web and those kind of things the second is data related so data analytics all the way through artificial intelligence the third would be cloud and for the speed and agility that it provides and then a fourth is internet of things and so some of, the, some of the attributes and skills that we're looking for is really those that are comfortable using data. You know, so the more analytical side of things, people who are comfortable putting out hypotheses and then using data to either prove or disprove those. So that's just one example, but across those different you know, types of how we deploy technology against our digital strategies, you can kind of see workforce needs to have abilities in all those areas
1: were you looking at talent acquisition as well? Or were you looking at like removing roadblocks from human processes? Like what were the things that, what were the types of things that you were working on?
2: Yeah, so we were trying to prepare for both talent acquisition, but also for um, current staff, you know, to make sure that development plans were reflecting where things needed to go, that we had people in the right spot to be able to do their best work and contribute to the maximum that they could. You know, it led to within IT, much more focus on engineering mindset and in business areas, you know, data. And another piece is really putting, we really have a strategy, both in our digital business strategies, but broader about putting the customer at the center. And so a part of it means, you know, our business people and IT people working together, you know, to really understand the changing expectations and needs of the customers, That how we've interacted with them and dealt with them in the past, you know, is not what they expect and what they will demand going forward. So, you know, it's really making sure that we have people who are focused on that as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You have people all over the world, but the headquarters is in Des Moines, Iowa. How has the war for talent been for you for both recruiting your internal teams? And then, you know, as a company, I think sometimes we talk to companies where, especially in like financial services or, or things like that, that it can be tough to get tech talent because the problem set might not feel as engineering heavy or something like that. But how have you, how have you kind of, uh, looked look to solve the, the war for talent?
2: Right, so we have uh, about eighteen hundred technology professionals in right here in our in our home office in Des Moines. That's out of about three thousand worldwide. And and I just had an opportunity a couple of months ago at our investor day that we had in New York, where we were talking about you know extraordinary investment that we were making to accelerate some of our digital business strategies. And I was telling them about. You know, one of the reasons they could have confidence is because of Principal's history of with innovation and applying technology to business strategies, but also, you know, our ability to attract and retain talent here in Des Moines. So I gave a couple of stats, you know, that that last year Livability magazine identified Des Moines as one of the five up-and-coming tech hotspots. And Smart Asset magazine last year had identified. Des Moines is one of the best cities for tech workers uh, in the top 10. And, you know, the advantage that we have here is being the largest employer of technology professionals in the state. We're a premier employer. And because of the innovation and the global nature of our businesses, we're able to attract the level of talent that allows us to, to really find some of the best talent in the area. On, on top of that, uh, we have a national recruiting approach. So uh, part of it is to sell principal and we've been successful in that, but also Des Moines as a, as a place with a lot of things to do, but, you know, relatively low cost and a mid-sized city, you know, we've been able to attract people from the East coast, from the South, from the West, you know, some of the top universities and and, uh, those are all important aspects of how we've been able to get and retain the talent that's so important.
1: How much do you work on the product side and on the business side around the different things that you do for your customers?
2: We really think it's it's critical that technology, you know, the IT area, and business are not separate at all. They're just fully integrated. And so they're working together, but it really cuts across all the, the different aspects. First of all, you have to listen to your customers, you have to use data you know so you can watch as they're trying to use our digital tools are they running into places where they get stuck uh, are there places where you know they seem to take a wrong turn and so then working together to help design the whole solution and we really focus not just on developing products but on solutions to meet the needs that they have and a big piece of that and a growing piece of that <clears throat> is the experience so it's not just the financial products whether it's a mutual fund or you know, a retirement product or an insurance product, but it really has to include the experience and the solution. And so that can't just be people who just know, you know, the insurance product. It can't just be technologists. It has to be everybody working together to make sure that we're satisfying that changing customer. What need.
1: were some of those type of, of things that you've been involved in in kind of like driving the product change for the organization? Were there any specific like projects or programs that you've kind of had a specific hand in?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the ones that I'm really most excited about, you know, that's maybe take a step back and say, you know, one of the things that's helped me to stay energized over 39 years that here is, I believe in our mission to help people live their best lives through financial security. And I think technology is a critical piece of that because most people, just don't spend all of their time thinking about their finances or they maybe don't have the confidence in it. And so that's where technology and applying technology in new and innovative ways can do it. So a couple of the examples I give you are really tied to how people are choosing to start with us and how we use behavioral economics tied into our, uh, whether it's mobile or web applications to help people to make the best decisions for them. So one example comes from our group insurance benefits. So this is where an employer provides dental or disability or life insurance or vision insurance to their employees. And people are having to make their choices about that. And so we help, help them to understand and help kind of nudge them so they do what's right for them. And similarly, as people are signing up for their retirement plans, again, this is stuff that people don't think about every day, but by helping them, you know, guiding them and providing the right kind of nudges along the way, you know, people, it's making a big difference in how people are saving and then investing toward their future. And so those are a couple of examples where I think without technology, you just couldn't reach them and people would be making the wrong decisions
1: especially in an area that's so cloudy. And we actually, we spoke about this on a, on a previous episode that I think should already be out about how it's so tough to help inform people that just don't necessarily understand what it is that they're doing. Right. Like I, I just think with financial like literacy is just, it's difficult. Like there's things about, you know, IRAs and rollovers and and dental insurance and all of these things that are just confusing for people to understand. Technology is one of the things that can allow you to help them put that stuff, put that information in front of them in a way that actually makes sense or help them make the decision. Are you using things like AI or machine learning or tools like that to help people inform their decision-making?
2: Uh, we're using things, I would say right now, I would describe it more based on data analytics. It probably is not the next step. We have some places where we're applying machine learning, but not necessarily directly to customer experience at this point. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, one of those examples that I gave earlier, uh, it's, a, it's a solution we call EasyElect for our group benefit customers. But it personalizes the experience. So it's using data that we have about them. To help personalize it, to guide them through in a way that should make more sense for them and allow them to do it in the way that's most comfortable for them. You know, everything from do it for me kind of people to people who you know, want to be in complete control of it. That's uh, what I want.
1: I want to yeah. do it for me. I want the easy button. I don't want to make a decision.
2: I, I thought you seemed like a, I want to control it kind of guy.
1: No, not at all. No, no, I do. I like to ask the questions, but uh, no, when it comes down to actually doing it, I, I want the easy button. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what's, and you've seen some of the rise of like these transparency products and things like this where taking the guesswork out of this stuff. I mean, at, at a certain point in time, there are certain options that are, that feel different when they're, when you're in them, right? Like people aren't just going to like, you know, price shop for something, you know, based off of, you know, lowest price or, or whatever it is, just because, you know, they can see that it's lower, they can actually like tell the customer experience and all of that stuff. But I think that the amount of transparency and I, I love the the name Easy Elect, that's pretty great. It just needs to be easier, like business needs to be easier. And then when somebody is making a really difficult decision, then you can add levels of complexity in the in the conversation we had on the podcast with the CIO of Stitch Fix one of the learnings that she had talked about was how they essentially complicate the process of how many questions before you can actually spend money with them. Cause they want to know exactly what it is about the person. They need to know a lot about you in order to make decisions about your wardrobe, right? Have you seen similar sort of things like that where the more information that people are willing to give you the better decision-making or, you know, the better options that you can share with them about what, what might make sense for managing their assets for the next 20 years or, or things like that? Yeah,
2: so, so definitely, you know, we've, we've done studies to kind of optimize how much is too much, how far is too far, you know, in terms of what kind of data you're trying to collect. Because obviously, the more data that we have, the more we can personalize the experience. So I think we're, you know, trying to thread the needle between as simple as possible, certainly has to be a part of it, it has to be transparent, Um, it has to be compliant, and increasingly, you know, there are restrictions around things for that, but then the fourth element, as I mentioned earlier, is it has to guide them, because this is difficult things, so you can make the process easy, so you can have the easy button, but if it results in them choosing the wrong option for them, you know, that's the right outcome for the client that we're looking for. So it really has to take all four of those into consideration. And then the the secret is you, you don't just put something out and it's the finished product. You put out a minimum viable product, you watch the data, you see how it's used, you can see where, oh, they're getting stuck or they're making the wrong choice here and continue to improve it. So you come to the right balance of those four elements.
1: I want to talk a little bit about you embracing the role of CDO and this kind of strategic role. Do you think that, and I know every company is obviously different, but how do you view this changing technologist, this chief technologist, you know, what we normally call the CIO? How do you see this role changing? Because I think there's Uh, a really interesting thing with a lot of the organizations that we've, we've had on where some have a CIO, some have a CTO, some have both, some have both and a CDO. Sometimes the CDO is actually a marketer. Sometimes the CIO and the marketer work hand in hand. Like how do you kind of view this role of, you know, the chief digital officer and like, did you really need the second role or is this, should this have been somebody else? Or do you think that, do you think that it fits to have it shared in together in one place?
2: Well, I think you hit it, Ian, that there's just so much change going on and companies are trying to adapt to it. And I think those that are more forward thinking are taking different approaches than those where technology has sort of been looked at as a back office thing in the past. That's never really been the case here. So I would say, and just an interesting story, when when I was talking with our CEO about something that was needed and we talked about it, and and as we were talking about it, I said, well, that sounds like what many companies are calling a chief digital officer. And I have a, a good friend who, uh, who chairs the MIT Center for Information Systems Research, Peter Weil, and I've heard him rail against the term chief digital officer. He just thinks it's a bad idea. And so, you know, when I just had talked with my our CEO and kind of concluded this was the right thing to do, I gave Peter a call and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to add that to my title. But his, his point was, he sees that too many companies where you have a chief information officer and a chief digital officer, and they're sort of put at odds. And the budget, the heavier budget is with one of them than the other. And it just seems to create a division where there doesn't need to be a division. So he actually was supportive of this. But you know, my view is I think this is a part of where CIOs in the future are going. That for a long time now at principle, the CIO hasn't really been just as running the back office, running the infrastructure, like uh, some companies use the title in that way. It's been really more a part of the executive management team, helping to drive strategy and our, uh, as we talked about, you know, where we needed to focus, we saw that principles, business strategies, an increasing percentage of them are really digital business strategies. And we really wanted to send a message both externally and internally that we're going to be more aggressive in more parts of our business than we had in the past. And we thought by naming a chief digital officer, uh, it sent that message, but also formalized the fact that I would be working with business leaders across the company to help drive digital further into our business strategies. I really think that's the direction that the role of the CIO is going to go in the future, to really be considered a business strategist, uh, working with the rest of the company to make sure that technology is driven deeper and deeper into their business and business strategies.
1: You know, this is a, uh, this is a random reference, but every time I see the, uh, the digital, I always think of like, let's get digital, like Olivia newton John's song, physical, (laughs) which probably is a weird reference, but, but I was thinking it's like, like kind of everybody sitting around deciding like, Hey, we need to get more digital, like kind of in the board meeting. But I think that, you know, and I think that there's truth and jest there because it is kind of that decision. And from a lot of the CIOs and IT leaders that we've talked to, those conversations literally happened that they sat around in the boardroom and were like, hey, we need to have a digital posture. It needs to be permeated throughout the entire organization. It can't stem from IT. It needs to come from the CEO, and it needs to be across the company. It seems like you had a lot of senior executive buy-in for this, obviously. And how did you kind of go about having that conversation and then positioning it internally in the company?
2: So yeah, that, that's really a good question. So as again, as I've talked with our CEO and and our board about it, we had already formed and I chaired for a few years before we actually made that title change: a digital strategy committee across across our enterprise. So we had senior business leaders and their CIO from their division who sat in it along with the chief marketing officer. And so we've been working across things like you know, inventorying our digital strategies, categorizing them into those that were offensive versus defensive, those that we would be shooting at getting to industry parity where we're shooting for differentiation, and really then having those discussions with the executive management group and then finally the board. And that was the process that we went through then to really identify several of our digital business strategies across our businesses and some at the enterprise level that we felt, you know, the return was such that we really owed it to our stakeholders, our shareholders and our customers to really accelerate through an extraordinary investment. So the fact that we, you know, we're doing that extraordinary investment, we were going to announce it to the street. uh, was a good way to also talk internally about how it's all of our accountabilities and how, you know, Everybody needs to be developing themselves to be a part of the workforce of the future where technology is, is, is a central part of, of our strategy. So I said all those things sort of work together to be able to bring in external audiences, our board, executive management, and then uh, all the employees of the company.
1: Did you ever get any pushback? Were there ever and have there been? I mean, you know, obviously you've been at the company since 1980, right? Yeah, Yeah, so you've been there for a long time. You know, you're definitely, you have the authority, obviously, to be like, hey, you know, I've been here a long time. I kind of am seeing where the future is going from a technology standpoint, you know, as kind of the chief technologist. But are there folks internally, specifically on the business side, who have said this just isn't a priority or, you know, we don't have the money for this or something like that?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said 1980, it reminded me, I think Olivia Newton-John was popular back then. Hey, there you go. Let's
1: get digital.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would say, Ian, that the biggest issue that we have is that I've run into, and it's different, a little bit different than the question that you're asking, but, you know, I would say across our businesses, we have a complex set of businesses. You know, in some cases, we have common target markets, like in the U.S., Across our retirement and insurance business, small to medium businesses is our target market. The bigger thing was not that some businesses thought it wasn't the right direction or that we should be accelerating. Sometimes the pace was different where, you know, customer demands or customer expectations in some businesses were changing faster than others. You know, investment-related products and, and retirement-related products, probably the expectations were changing a little faster than some of the insurance areas And so it more was a matter of pacing, but the fact that, you know, these ideas weren't developed just by me or by the technology side of things, but they were co-developed between business leaders and, and, you know, our talented IT professionals across, you know, it wasn't like we were having to sell them because they were co-developed, but really the only issues was maybe the pace across the businesses with some of the, some of the issues that we ran into.
1: What's, Kind of keep going with that on kind of the innovation side. What are you doing internally to drive innovation? Like are you doing hackathons? Do you have citizen developers? You know, are you making apps internally? You know, what what are the what are the kind of things that you're doing to keep everybody engaged and innovating in a field that, you know, traditionally has not driven the most technological innovation?
2: Yeah, so so we, we're doing a little bit of all the things, but I would say you know some of the some of the key things that I think contribute toward it. Uh, we have been doing uh, we we don't call them hackathons, we call them code jams because in the early days. So we've been doing them for close to ten years, and in the early days, you didn't want a financial services company talking about hack anything. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, but it's really mostly to get things sort of to to the prototype stage comes out of our, our internal hackathons. We also have labs, innovation labs, in all of our businesses and in some of our support areas as well. They're trying new things, You know, expecting some of them will turn into proofs of concepts that will be taken forward, and we have several examples of those, some that don't, and we fail, try to fail fast and move on. And then I'd mentioned the subsidiary that we have in, in India that I work with and that's the only location globally that supports all of our businesses and all of our locations. and it's a combination of high-end people, so we have actuaries and data analytics specialists and doctors, medical doctors who are involved in our underwriting process and accountants, and then we have, you know all layers of technology, including architects and, and security information security and everything. So they have a lab that's really interesting because. You know, that's one place where across all of our businesses, they have a vantage point into it and they have the data analytics people involved in it. And some of the things that we now, you know, have been implemented in our businesses actually came from our India uh, innovation labs and then applied to businesses in the U.S. or in Latin America or in Asia. So we used all of those. And then finally, we also have gotten much more involved in recent years uh, with startups. Uh, whether that's through accelerators in Des Moines here. Um, we were part of a consortium that started the first insurance accelerator. It's called the Global Insurance Accelerator. We're heavily involved there too. So uh, we can work with startups, can get you know, ideas that are being generated out of there. And we have a number of things that have been implemented that started through a relationship with a startup, some of which we've taken an equity stake in. Uh, we also, in 2018, acquired Company called Robust Wealth out of Lambertville, in New Jersey. I'd say all of those are different things that innovation and an expectation of innovation. Also, in I just way. want you
1: to know that uh, physical Olivia Noon John, 1981. Yeah, so okay. you were you just a new hire at Principal right. listening uh, <laughs> listening on the radio and thinking about let's get digital sometime in, in the not too distant future
2: by the way there was there was a music video of that that is still burned in my brain i tried to get it out of my brain but it's hard
1: it's really cra- it's the most 80s thing it is definitely uh, very 80s for those of our listeners who are a little younger and don't remember it i highly encourage that you go look at it because it's really weird but if you hate it i apologize I like, no, I like that. I like the, the code jams and, and, and being able to to drive innovation and seeing innovation come from India. I mean, it's something that, you know, we, we've we touched on a little bit and we have a bunch of listeners in India as well. And I think that there's, there's some really cool opportunities that are going to be coming or that are already happening there, obviously. And with huge like IT consulting firms and all that in India as well. But I, I think that, you know, with I forget the exact number it's like millions of people coming online every week in in India that there's going to be some really really cool innovation that happens
2: yeah it's interesting i've i've gotten to spend some time at a few accelerators primarily in mumbai because that's where you know finance center tends to be and so with with more fintechs, there's some there's some really great ideas Happening there, so it's it's just interesting to be able to experience accelerators in multiple different countries. In Chile, I've gotten to interact with some entrepreneurs there. So there's innovation happening everywhere, and some really creative people.
1: I want to switch gears out into mobile. So what are you doing? For, you know, what have what have you been working on behind the scenes for mobile, and where do you kind of see the the future of mobile heading?
2: Yeah, that's it, an interesting lens from a global company because. You know, we have our retirement businesses are primarily in emerging markets in in uh, Latin America and Asia, and you know, mobile is further along there than it is in many of the developed countries. That's where you know most people access the internet, and this is a situation where we're learning from what our businesses in China and India and Chile and Brazil, you know, are doing to be able to to apply some of the same concepts within the U.S. So, you know, we, we have applications across the board. Again, back to the meeting, the customer expectations and changing customer expectations. Every place, you know, as millennials come of age, there's an expectation that more and more of their life is going to be done through mobile. And so, you know, you need to be ahead of that and stay ahead of that. So we have mobile capabilities across the board kind of an interesting one that we rolled out and started with working with a with a startup here in the u.s is on our life insurance side Uh, it's called my principal lifestyle where it allows people and they can be customers or not necessarily customers but tied into their you know what they do each day through exercise and diet and other things and then it, it has a bit of a gamification in there that they can win but, you know, obviously it's helping data and it's helping with life insurance customers that it's to all of our advantages to people to live healthily. So, Are you seeing things like connecting to Fitbits
1: or things like that where you have, you know, these health trackers or these sort of things? I mean, you know, there's so many health apps that are that are coming about and obviously like all sorts of like dieting things and... Uh, and exercise tracking and getting your steps in and all that. Do you see that that those will have integrations in the future or how do you look at that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So for, for applications, like I was just describing, you don't want people to have to enter it if they already are tracking it through some form of uh, Fitbit or, or other kind of tool like that. So definitely. And as they get more standardized, so you get standard APIs to be able to pull data you know, back and forth, you would expect more and more of that into the future.
1: What about some of the AI and machine learning that we, we tush, touched on briefly? What are the things that you're working on from an AI standpoint that are, are kind of pushing limits? Like, are you excited about AI? How do you, how do you see this?
2: Yeah, so, so we have multiple things going on. I, you know, I think for companies like Principal in the near term, there's going to be more AI that's built into things that we're buying as opposed to things that we would build from scratch. So, you know, we have things, everything like, you know, we worked with a a third party to develop a sentiment analysis on calls. So as customers call into our contact centers, you know, we can do sentiment analysis based on that. But the, the most interesting thing that we have going on, where we're building an application from scratch, working with, a couple of uh, startups uh, that we're involved in is in our investment management side. So we've had you know, a global research platform for 20 years, and it's helping, for example, on our equity side, for them to analyze which are the best stock options that are available out there to be able to invest in. And we're in the process now of applying artificial intelligence against that. To, and it's, it's really to augment our investment analysts, it's not to replace them. So it's, it's allowing us to take our investment strategies to do more work against that and to do it faster. And so we're, we're starting with our equities area, which is you know, stock-based investments or mutual funds, but we'll then be you know applying it to fixed income, and to real estate and other alternative investments like that. But just to give you a couple of early things that we're seeing with there, you know, there was a a large company that had their quarterly earnings coming out, and they were based on a very large product rollout they were going to do. Through our uh, analyst cockpit is our title for it, we were able to find a problem in their supply chain that was going to limit you know, the amount that they were going to be able to build, uh, which was going to affect the numbers that of their product rollout. So we were able to see that in advance. We're already, the results that we're getting, even before our investment analysts start working on it, we are already beating the sell-side analyst in terms of the consensus estimates that they have. We're getting more accurate to what their actual earnings and, and revenue uh, for the quarter was. So you know, we see huge benefit in that. But again, it's not to replace the investment analyst because they're coming up with the strategies that we're using, but it's to be able to be more effective in implementing those. And And investment performance is really the top critical success factor for a company like Principal. Unfortunately, you know, we've had strong investment performance for years and years, and so this is kind of the next stage of that.
1: You know, it's really interesting when we had – When we had Val Afshar on and we were talking about AI, you know, he, he talks about how he sees it as augmented intelligence that it is, you know, robots informing humans, right? It's, it's them robots doing the menial tasks or the repetitive tasks or sensing trends and things that, you know, we, couldn't pick up and being proactive and doing that rather than reactive. And I think that that's the thing that's so exciting is, you know, when you look at just the simple types of AI in our lives, the Google alerts or the, or the different things or predictive text, where you say, man, that's, that's pretty nice that I don't have to write out that whole paragraph. But when it comes to, you know, financial decision-making, the fact that there's still a human there, I think number one gives people a peace of mind, but it also allows that person to have those superpowers.
2: No, I, th- I, think, I think that's right. And I think, you know, there certainly are going to be those deep learning applications that, that will have, have big impacts. But I think AI's impact is going to be much more in augmenting people or intelligence. You know, I think for, for many, many years, I think that's going to be the much larger impact that AI has across not only financial services, but most aspects of our life.
1: All right, let's get into the lightning round. All right. Fast and easy questions, just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. These questions are, they'll be so easy and fast. So you have no idea what's coming. Um, We've had to switch them around a little bit for you so that because you're a listener of the show, you might know what's coming, but not this time. It's going to be totally different (laughs) stuff you've never heard about. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite jazz musician? Oh, I love jazz.
2: (laughs) So, so that's really, really, really a tough one. I'd say Red Holloway. What's your favorite Ella Fitzgerald song? All of them. I'm a huge Ella fan. It's hard, hard for me to pick out one. I feel like that's cheating,
1: but it's okay.
2: <laughs> it wasn't fast either.
1: <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, podcast or recent book?
2: Let me see. The, I, just, I just finished not long ago, uh, Ian Bremmer's Us Versus Them. I, I really like that. It kind of talked about populism. What's what's behind that? So I'll go with that.
1: What is your favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently?
2: You know, I, this is this is this is going to seem like cheating, but okay, Google is a great thing. It's it's changed my life. So you know, anything that I can I can speak into it, and uh, and I, I use it pretty pervasively. So that'd be my answer.
1: Yeah. You know, so one of our, uh, one of my co-founders is a, is a Googler and we had the opportunity to work on work with the, the home in the early stages. And, uh, it's amazing to think what that'll look like, what that experience will look like in 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some really frustrating things with all of the voice communication tools right now, but, uh, they're learning. They're learning every day, whether you like it or not in some cases, but I'm just so excited about being able to give voice dictation on the fly.
2: Yeah. And if you could do a, if you could do a split screen of a voice recognition from five years ago versus now, (laughs) it's incredible. The progress that we've made.
1: Yeah. I mean, when Siri first came out and it's like, you know, you couldn't even, you couldn't even say anything. I had, I was talking to Siri uh, yesterday and it like made a recommendation on that, like that I should up, I should tell her how to pronounce the name or whatever, or whatever it was basically like, you know, you should put this, like you should say this person's last name and you should save this so that I can know who you're talking about in the future. And I was like, Whoa, that's new. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Favorite one day getaway in Des Moines, Iowa.
2: We have a lake in the middle of town. I'm a runner. So if I can get away and run around, the lake, I'm, I'm happy.
1: What's the favorite time-saving tool that you use every day?
2: My first thing that jumped in my head was iPad. Cause I, you know, I have lots of apps that I use throughout the day. So I, I have a hard time coming up with one app. So I'll just say my iPad.
1: What app are you using on your phone? That's
2: the most fun. My favorite is Spotify and I love music. So I'd say it's most fun too. A lot of jazz. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. What's your best advice for a first time CIO? surround yourself with the best people you can.
1: What thing are you most excited about going forward?
2: I really think technology is gonna have a positive impact on the world. And, and you know, there's all the consternation about, is it gonna eliminate jobs, AI and robotics and other things? But throughout history, it's created more than it's actually reduced. I think, this isn't lightning, but a quick example is, you know, it's allowed us to reach customers that couldn't be reached before. They didn't, if they didn't work through an advisor, you couldn't reach them and now we can reach them. So I think it's going to make the world better. I love it. I couldn't agree more. Anything we didn't get to? Any final thoughts? Not that I can think of, Ian. It's been, it's been really fun.
1: Yeah, it's been great having you on and uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, following the progress and, and talking to you very soon.
0: Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.